So we're going to jump into our message now, and uh, I want to start by asking you, what's your default response when you worry? So when worry comes across uh, your life, whether that's something that's happened to you, something specific, something that's been going on for a little while, uh, when something kind of goes sideways, what's your default response to that? I think some of us can, uh, when worry comes, it kind of takes hold of us and we are unable to think about anything else. It can be all-consuming and just kind of blocks out all the other things that are happening around us. For some of us, we go to the opposite extreme where we try and distract ourselves. So we will think about other things or more likely do as much as we can so that we can just hopefully block it out and not have to think about it at all. Some of us might go and talk to someone and have a conversation and try and sit down and process what it is that we're feeling and what we're thinking about and hope that they might be able to help us to be able to move forward. Others of us might keep it to ourselves and say, well, I don't want to be a burden on anyone else. I don't want to kind of make anyone else feel like they have to solve this for me. So I'll just kind of suck it up and I'll work it out myself. And I specifically wonder where does God fit in those moments of worry for you? When you turn to a time of worry, where does God fit? I think, again, some of us can get into the mindset where we kind of don't want to bother God. He's got a lot on his plate running the universe, so my little needs aren't really that important, so I don't want to bother him. Uh, I need to find some practical solutions anyway, so I'll just get on with it and I won't worry about God. Others of us might be very frustrated at God, frustrated that God won't solve the situation that we're in, or maybe even feel a sense of resentment that God has contributed to the situation that we're in at the time. Today, we're continuing our series that's called No Matter What, where we've been spending the last few weeks working through uh, the book of Philippians, this letter that was written to one of the early churches by this guy named Paul uh, to a city in Philippi to explore what it looks like to be able to live as kingdom people, people who live the way that we believe that we were created to live, but to live as kingdom people no matter what, regardless of the circumstances that are in our lives. And so throughout this series, we've been reminded about how amazing Jesus is and the sort of king that Jesus comes to be, but also what it looks like for us to live as kingdom citizens. And I thought what Janice shared last week was super helpful imagery uh, to remind us that the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. And so it was this kind of outpost, but the people who lived in Philippi didn't live their lives saying, how do we get back to Rome? Their focus was, how do we make Philippi as Roman as we possibly can. And as kingdom citizens, our focus is the same. While we yearn and we long for the ultimate fulfillment of what the kingdom looks like, we yearn for that day where we get to experience life the way God created it 100% of the time, where we get to experience no more pain, where we get to experience no more brokenness, no more suffering, no more jealousy, no more greed. Right now, we are kingdom citizens. And a part of our role is to effectively create kingdom colonies wherever we are. Not just waiting until we get to heaven, but being able to say, how do we bring heaven on earth in our time? And so today we're going to be exploring the theme of perspective and what it looks like to adopt kingdom perspectives no matter what's going on for us. So if you've got the Bible app on your phone, then you can pull that out and uh, our teaching notes are there. You can go uh, down the bottom right where it says more and then events and you'll see our teaching notes. I do want to apologise if you tried to do that last week and found that it didn't work. That was because I forgot to publish the teaching notes. I put them all together so they were ready to go and then forgot to actually press the button to make them go up into uh, the universe. Um, 
I did do that at the beginning of the message, but that took 10 or 15 minutes. So hopefully some of you found that before the end, but I apologise. It is there today. And we're going to pick things up at the uh, start of chapter 4. So whether you're using the Bible app or uh, whether you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Philippians chapter 4. And as we've talked about throughout this series, we're going to substitute the phrase King Jesus in any time that we see Lord or Christ Jesus as a reminder of how much that is used, um, but also to remind ourselves of what it means for us to make Jesus our King. So verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to King Jesus. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to King Jesus, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So throughout this letter, we have noted that a key theme for Paul is uh, helping the Philippians to focus on unity. We talked at the beginning of the series about how Paul loved this group of people. They were like one of the great churches that was planted in the early church. Well, they did an awesome job of working out what it meant to follow Jesus and did a spectacular job of living really authentic, Jesus-centered lives. But Paul wants them to continue to hold on to their unity that is 100% centered around Jesus. We touched on that last week and then here again Paul notes this specific disagreement that's going on between two of the key women who seem to be having a bit of an issue together, appealing to them to work it out and appealing to the others who are part of the church to work towards a resolution so that they could get back to being united together. Now one very quick side note with this, it is another great reminder that women did have a key role in leadership since the beginning of the church. We said right at the beginning of this series that uh, Lydia was a key figure in planting the church in Philippi at the very beginning. And here we have Euodia and Syntyche named as two other key workers in sharing the message of Jesus. It is a reminder that Paul was very, very focused on having women as a part of the church right from the very, very beginning. But Paul then works through this really great set of kingdom perspectives for the Philippians to live out and embrace together. And so as we work through these, I want to encourage you again to be thinking about whether we're just kind of enduring life, just kind of waiting until all of the things that are a part of our lives currently are over, or whether we are living as kingdom citizens, whether we're trying to embrace these things in our lives so that we can set up kingdom colonies all around us. So the first kingdom perspective that Paul talks about is to be filled with joy. In verse 4, Paul writes, Always be full of joy in King Jesus. I say it again, rejoice. Now this is one of those moments where we recognize that Paul's kind of making a point here. Be filled with joy. I say it again, rejoice. No, no, I really mean it. Actually be filled with joy is what Paul's saying. The message, I love translation, says celebrate God all day, every day. Revel in him, which is a beautiful picture of what joy looks like. Something else that I read this week said that joy is stability and celebration on the inside, regardless of the circumstances on the outside. Stability and celebration on the inside, regardless of circumstances on the outside. Joy is not supposed to be something where we just pretend that everything's fine when it's really not. We don't just kind of put on a happy face and pretend it's all good. But it's an intentional choice to stop 
and to recognise who God is, to recognise who we are because of who God is and because of what God has done for us and to allow that to turn into a sense of celebration, celebrating God and celebrating who we are. And that then gives us this foundation of stability that enables us to keep going even when things are challenging. We're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. The next kingdom perspective that Paul talks about is being considerate to others. In verse 5, he says, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, King Jesus is coming soon. Now, in some ways, we could probably flip this around and it might make a little bit more sense. We could start by saying, Remember, King Jesus is coming soon. Or another way of saying that would be, Live as if Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And sometimes in churches, you might have had this experience, we can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of emotion thinking about and analysing and even worrying about when it is that Jesus is coming back. And for Paul and the early church, it's a great reminder to us that their expectation was that Jesus' return was imminent. They genuinely expected that Jesus was coming soon. Most of them believed that Jesus was going to come back within their generation. And we do believe that one day Jesus will return and finally and firmly experience, uh, establish the kingdom so that we can experience that 100% of the time. But we spend time sometimes wondering when's that going to be? When's that going to happen? And for me, I always go back to Jesus' words on this, which is spectacular advice. Jesus says very, very plainly, nobody knows. So spending time trying to work it out is kind of a bit of a waste of time because Jesus himself says nobody knows. But what do we do with this reality that we do believe he's coming back at some point, we just don't know when that is. So it could be tomorrow, but it could be another 2,000 years away. Who knows? My thought process with this is to simply do this. If Jesus was going to come back tomorrow and I knew it, someone was able to tell me definitively Jesus is definitely coming back tomorrow, would I live my life any differently? If the answer to that is yes, I should just live my life differently and I should make that change regardless of whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or whether he doesn't. But I don't make that choice just in case Jesus comes back and catches me not living the way that I should live or makes me be one of the people who's left behind. Bit of a pun for those of you who were around in the 90s. But because this is the way that Jesus wants me to live. Why would I want to miss out on that? Why would I put that off? If Jesus wants me to live differently, and I would do that if I knew he was coming out tomorrow, I should just change the way that I'm living today. And specifically here, Paul says to help people see that you're on their side, that you're working with them, that you're not working against them. Because if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, how would you treat them? So treat them that way today. Don't wait. If Jesus was coming back, treat people the way that you would if you knew that. Now, another interesting side note, especially for the Bible nerds, is that the word that is translated as considerate here is actually one of the most untranslatable Greek words that we have in all of the Bible. And if you look at different translations, particularly different translations throughout time, you'll see it's translated in lots of different ways. So it's translated as gentleness, as tolerance, as patience, as unselfishness, as reasonableness, as graciousness, and in our translation, as considerate. Most modern translations do use that phrase gentleness now, uh, but we can sometimes think that gentleness is kind of this soft and cuddly word, which it's really not. 
Gentleness is all of those other things wrapped up into one. Gentleness is tolerance and patience and unselfishness and reasonableness and graciousness and being considerate. My favourite definition of gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. It is this decision to say, how would Jesus treat other people if he was here? That's how I want to treat them today. Well, the next kingdom perspective that Paul notes is for us to turn worry into prayer. So verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in King Jesus. Verse 6 is uh, some of the most powerful and most loved words that we have in Scripture, but also possibly for some of us, uh, some words that we might struggle with because they might have been used on us as a bit of a throwaway line or a bit of a cliche. Don't worry about anything. Just pray about it and it'll all be totally fine. And in case you attempted to think that those verses were just words that Christians use when everything's going well and just kind of use as a bit of a throwaway line, it's important for us to remember who wrote them and what was going on for Paul when he wrote them. So we've talked a lot about the fact that Paul was in jail when he wrote these words. He was on trial for his life, facing massively heavy persecution. And he says... Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. So this is not some weak sentiment that's just kind of a cliche that gets used, but it's so much deeper than that. And the word that's used for worry here, my favourite way of understanding that, is not overthinking things. This is actually the same words that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, when he talks a lot about what we should do instead of worrying and choosing to focus on the daily things that we need. But the word worry that's used in both contexts is this idea of saying, don't give things a second thought and a third thought and a fourth thought and a fifth thought, which I know none of us can relate to at all. None of us overthink things. But that's actually what worry is about, is that not just something that's causing us stress, something that's causing us anxiety, but something that takes hold of us because now we think about it and we keep thinking about it and we keep thinking about it and we overthink it. And so Paul's advice to us is that when that happens, when we find ourselves overthinking things, that we should turn those thoughts into prayer. We should bring those things before God and talk to him about it. But what's great is that Paul doesn't just leave it as some general idea. So when you worry, pray. He says very specifically what we should do. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And this is a really great reminder that God actually does care about what's going on for us. God wants to hear the things that we're worried about. It's okay for us to be really, really crystal clear and specific about what we need when we're in seasons of worry. But Paul also reminds us it's, an important, it's important not just for us to get swept up in that, but to zoom out and also remember what God has done, to remember what God is doing, to remember what God has promised that he's going to do, and to turn that into thanksgiving, or other translations talk about turning that into praise. 
The message translation of the last part of these verses says, it's wonderful what happens when we allow King Jesus to displace worry at the centre of our life. It's wonderful what happens when we allow King Jesus to displace worry at the centre of our life. And that's a super powerful picture for me, to just stop and think about who's sitting on the throne in my heart and in my thoughts. Is it King Worry or is it King Jesus? Who's calling the shots here? Paul says that when we choose to do this, to allow King Jesus to take his rightful place in our hearts and our minds, then we find ourselves receiving peace that doesn't make sense given the circumstances that we're in. Now, whenever we read this word peace, it's not just kind of a sense that everything's kind of stable and fine. Peace is this sense of wholeness, this sense of completeness, this ability to be able to believe to the core of who we are that things are going to be okay. And what's interesting here is that Paul doesn't say we experience a sense of peace because our problems are solved or because our worries go away. We experience a sense of peace because we recognize that God is with us. We stop long enough to be able to recognize God is with us. God does care, and God is so much bigger than we can get our heads around. And the more that we do this, the more that we find that it has an impact on us. This is where it's helpful for us to remember again some words that we've used a couple of times over the last few months, the difference between an instrument and a device. We've talked about how we get very swept up because our culture teaches us a lot about devices. We have these amazing little phones that we can press a button on and suddenly we can hear music. We press a button and suddenly magic pictures come up on our TV. We press a button and suddenly heating or cooling kicks in. So we have all these devices where we press a button and something magic instantly happens. And if we're not careful, we can think that prayer is supposed to work the same way. Where we press the prayer button... And something magic is supposed to happen. All of my problems are supposed to magically go away. But when we understand that prayer is a practice, and when we think about the idea of an instrument, it takes time to be able to learn it. But the more time that we spend with it, the better we get at it. So if you think about the idea of sitting down at a grand piano, if you press the button, it doesn't really do a whole lot. It takes a long time to be able to learn how to use it and to be able to use it properly. But the more practice that we put in, the more it does what it's supposed to do. Prayer works the same way. And Paul says that the more that we do this, peace actually guards our hearts and our minds. And the word that's used for guard here is the imagery. Think back to Paul's time that most of the cities would have been walled cities, would have had these big stone walls around them, and they would have had soldiers who were lining the walls, who were keeping a watch out over the city and keeping an eye out if anyone was going to come and defending the city if that was necessary. And so Paul says that God's peace, when we allow it to, can function kind of like a cohort of soldiers who are watching over our feelings and watching over our thoughts, alerting us to enemy forces that want to come and distract us or distort things or disturb us or discourage us. Instead, peace can guard our hearts and our minds so that we can experience more of God's peace. And Paul takes that a step further in the last verses that we're going to look at today when he talks about the idea of filling our mind with kingdom things. In verses 8 and 9, he writes, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. 
Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's encouragement here is for us to fill our minds up with kingdom things and gives us lots of examples of what that looks like. Whatever is true, honourable, right, pure, lovely, authentic, compelling. The message says, fill your minds up with the things that are the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. And Paul's encouragement to us is to cultivate those things as our default mindset. To ask ourselves, are these the things that my mind naturally goes to when I'm kind of at rest? Because if we allow those things to fill our thoughts, that's another way in which we experience God's peace. And psychology has taught us so much about how our minds are shaped by our responses and our reactions. We have phrases like, we are what we think, We know the importance of practicing mindfulness and being able to tune in to what it is that we're thinking. And we've learnt a lot about the idea of neural pathways, these tracks that are laid down in our minds when we do something often enough. And that can work to our advantage if we choose to lay down healthy pathways and that's where our mind will go to. But it also explains why it's so hard to break bad habits because we've got neural pathways that have been laid down there as well. I was thinking about this this week, week, that in some ways it's similar to the algorithms that we have on a lot of our apps. So whether that's Spotify or TikTok or YouTube, all of those apps and lots of the other apps that we have as well learn what we're into. So I'm very conscious of what I listen to on Spotify because I don't want it to suddenly start recommending songs that are out of the genres that I like, country music in particular. TikTok learns the videos that we're into and the content that we want to pay attention to. YouTube makes sure that it spends a lot of time learning the sorts of videos that we want to keep watching and feeding us more and more of them. We could also cynically say that uh, TikTok especially learns what we're into by listening in on the things that we're talking about, which is why we were just talking about that. How come there's TikTok videos on that? But that's another matter for another day. What happens is that these apps learn and play and recommend more of the same things that we're into. So you like those songs? Okay, well, here's a whole bunch of other songs that you'll probably also like because they fit. You like those videos? Here's a whole bunch more of them. You like those themes? Here's a whole bunch of other things like that. And so we can apply that same thinking to our thoughts. Which songs are you listening to over and over in your head? That's what your mind is going to produce more of. What is the soundtrack that you're listening to because more and more of that is ultimately going to be produced. And it's fascinating that Paul was way, way, way ahead of the game here. He knew these things before there was science to back it up and technology to reinforce it. Paul encourages us to fill our minds with kingdom things because the more we do that, the more that it will have an impact on us. And the phrase think about is often translated as to meditate on these things. And sometimes we can think that meditation is this new fancy practice that's happened or that it's only for Eastern religions. But in actual fact, the phrase meditate has been around for a very, very long time. The Israelites were encouraged to meditate on God and the things of God. Meditation has been a key part, a key practice of the church since the earliest days. 
And one helpful way to think about what meditation looks like is the idea of chewing on something or savouring something. The idea of kind of rolling it around on your mouth, making sure that you lock in on all of the different flavours that you're experiencing, consciously focusing on what you're eating. And as we think about the difference that our thoughts can make, it's helpful for us to think about the difference between chewing on or savouring something delicious, so some nice chocolate, which our men have experienced this morning, nice steak, which is what I had for lunch yesterday, nice cup of coffee, so we savour these things. My mouth's already watering just thinking about this stuff. We savour that idea. We can taste all of the flavours that are there. Think about how that then washes through our whole body, the sense of joy and how great it is. But now think about what happens to you when you chew on or savour something that's bitter or something that's sour. That instantly creates a reaction in us as well. That's awful. I don't like that. But it's also helpful for us to think about in terms of not just downing our food, which I know I'm very guilty of, just eat it as quickly as I can, get on to the next thing, not paying any attention to what we're eating, not even realising how good it might be. As we think about our thoughts, we've got the opportunity to meditate on the right things, to chew on the right things, to savour on the right things, because that can have an impact on us right across the board. And when we choose to do that and fill our minds with kingdom thoughts, that same peace that we talked about earlier becomes even more clearly available to us. So as we zoom back out and begin to kind of wrap up the message, it's important to name that our focus when we think about all of these things is not about denying the reality of the lives that we're living or the challenges that we face. It's really about wrestling with which lens we look at our circumstances through. Are we living as kingdom citizens who have a kingdom lens, who have kingdom perspectives, who keep our eyes fixed on King Jesus? Or are we living as citizens of our culture, with a culture-shaped lens, with our eyes fixed on kings or gods that aren't King Jesus and aren't kingdom perspective. That is the difference between us simply using these things as words of kind of the power of positive thinking or what secular psychology would say to us. Our focus is so much deeper than that because our focus is on King Jesus. Our focus is on kingdom values, on kingdom perspectives on zooming in on the things that we read that Jesus taught, but even more than that, the things that we know that Jesus lived in his own life. The things that we believe Jesus has given us the opportunity to experience in the here and now because he brought the kingdom into our existence. The things that we know we will one day get to experience 100% of the time when we cross from this life into the next. But they're things that we can experience now if we choose to focus on them. They're more than just things that we think about in the hopes that it might bring a bit of positivity into our lives, but things that actually allow us to experience the transformation that Jesus wants us to be able to experience in our lives. And so I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what that might look like for you this week. As always, ton of information there and lots and lots of different thoughts, and it can feel a little bit overwhelming to walk away and say, what of all of this am I supposed to put into practice? And so the encouragement is just pick one thing. Out of all of those things that we've talked about, which kingdom perspective is King Jesus asking me to embrace this week? What's one thing that Jesus might be giving me a little bit of a nudge or a bit of a prompt around to embrace as I head into this week? 
I want to give you a couple of moments to be able to stop, to reflect on what that might look like, but also to think about who you might share that with. We also talk about how important it is for us to recognise we don't have to do this on our own, we do this in partnership with each other. So what's one thing that you feel like Jesus is challenging you about and who's one person who you might be able to have a conversation with about that? Take some time to reflect and we'll come back and pray and uh, wrap up with this part of our gathering with a song. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful that you do care about the things that are going on for us in our lives. You're not just dismissive of the things that come across our paths, the things that cause us stress and anxiety. You care about them and you want us to share those things with you. We're really, really grateful for this amazing gift that you have given us that we call prayer, where we can come before you openly and honestly and vulnerably and share exactly what's going on in our lives. And we thank you that when we choose to do that, somehow you regularly bring this sense of peace into our lives. This sense of peace that doesn't make sense given the circumstances that we're in. And we know that we don't experience that all of the time, But many of us have had those experiences at different times where we have been in the midst of something and just had a sense that you're with us and it changes our perspectives, it changes our perceptions. And so we pray that as we move into this week, regardless of what's going on for us, that you would continue to help us to grow in our trust of you, to recognise that you do care what's going on for us and to share those things with you, to tell you what we need but also to recognise how amazing you are and all the good things that you have done and to focus on those kingdom perspectives, the things that we can change the soundtracks of our minds with, where we can lay down new neural pathways, where we can savour the things that we know are the way that you created us to be, the things that you created us to focus on. 
And so as we head out into this week, into this day, into all the things that are ahead of us, we're so grateful that you go with us, that we don't have to do this alone. You're with us, aware of everything that's going on for us, but also that you give us each other with an opportunity to be able to share those things with each other and to be able to pray for and with each other as we move into that journey. And so we look forward to what it is that you will do in us and through us as we move into this week. In your name we pray. Amen.